Well, good morning. This is Pastor Allen. Um, pretty strange. Uh, as of last week, we are not able to meet together. And one of the most difficult things for me as a believer and as a pastor is not to be able to see you folks face to face. So this is a poor substitute, but the best substitute we have at this point. So we thank you for tuning in, whether now or later in the week. We're in a series called Decoding Faith, trying to figure out what faith is all about, what it means. And today's topic is, here's mud in your eye, and that'll make sense in a few minutes. <clears throat> but I think many of us look at God and we think, well, if you just would do something special, I would believe a little bit better, I'd live, my faith would be stronger. Or maybe if you're not a believer at this point, if you had something special happen to you, it might help you step across that line into faith. So you might say something, God, he just wants you to do something truly special. And I think God's response to us would be this, like what? Uh, maybe you want me to make this huge rock that's just far enough away from its heat source that people wouldn't be too hot or too cold and uh, mankind can flourish. But I already did that. We call that earth, right? Uh, maybe uh, I didn't bring my cell phone up here, but maybe I, I can make a, a computer that you put in your pocket, and that's our cell phones today. You say, well, man made that. Well, God gave man the, the knowledge to do that. Or maybe uh, we could talk about our brains being greater than our minds. I don't have to tell my heart, beat, beat, <laughs> beat. My brain takes care of that. I don't have to tell it to breathe and, and all the other functions of the body. In fact, our bodies are self-healers. You cut your finger, put a Band-Aid on it, a few days later, it's all well again. Oh, God, God did that. Then I think about medical science and challenges they have now. But if someone from Jesus' day was here in our world today, they would think medical science and medicine is their gods. and that's a, that's a miracle. So, what... God would say to you, what, what do you want me to do? What else do you need? And so we're studying a book in the Bible called John. We have four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, beginning of the New Testament. And John's is different than the other three. He has a specific goal, a purpose, an agenda. To con he was convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. And his desire in writing this book is to convince you and I that Jesus was. And we'll read the agenda. He's, at the end of his book, he writes, writes his uh, agenda. He says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. And we're looking at seven of them. Jesus did many, but he wrote down seven. I believe John's saying, these seven should be more than enough evidence for you and for I and for me. Uh, so he said, these are written so you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. This guy that lived 2,000 years ago was the prophesied Messiah, the Son of God. That believing in him, not just the, uh, intellectual knowledge, but believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So you can go back and watch the earlier uh, messages in this series. But we're on the fifth of seven signs. And uh, we looked at this. Jesus keeps traveling back and forth between Jerusalem in the south and the Sea of Galilee in the north where he grew up. 
And it's about 100 miles, took him four or five days walking, and he goes back and forth. He's safer in Galilee, that's his home. Down in Jerusalem, it's a little iffy. And the religious leaders and him are kind of at war with each other. And he te Jesus tends to stir up the people, which religious leaders don't like, because when the people get stirred up, it stirs up the Romans, and the stir up the Romans, it's not very nice, it's dangerous. So in the story today, Jesus is going to be back down into the area of Jerusalem. So again, he's going to have this confrontation with the religious, Jewish religious leaders. Now it's a rather long story. It's uh, one of my favorite because it so, says so much about human nature. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years as, as we read the story. So we're going to kind of go through, uh, make some observations, and then make some conclusions at the end. In, if you have a Bible, you can look it up. We'll have the verses on the screen. Um, this is John chapter 9. So as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind from birth. So he'd never, able, never been able to see. Rabbi, referring to Jesus, his disciples asked him. Probably one asked and then another kind of chimed in. Why was this man born blind? Now, we're going to talk about the wrong question, but anyway. <laughs> was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Their belief system said, if you are physically suffering blindness, uh, lame, some kind of illness, there was a cause. The cause was something you had done wrong. <clears throat> um, you deserved what was happening to you. So there wasn't a lot of compassion, because when they saw somebody blind, well... You deserve this. Now, some pain and suffering we deserve. If I hit my thumb with a hammer, <laughs> I'm to blame, and I deserve the pain. If you hit my thumb with the hammer, you're to blame, and I'm to suffer. So we suffer for our own reasons or other people's reasons. But this is the wrong question. Jesus is going to tell us it's not about blame. And his response is going to seem insensitive, but there's a real truth in his response. And it's theologically sound. Um, he said this, It was not because of his sin, the blind man's sin, or his parents' sin, that was their belief. This happened so or so that. This man has been blind so that the power of God could be seen in him. Again, it seems a little insensitive. This, this guy had to be blind all his life for this reason. But here's the bottom line truth. Pain can have a purpose. Pain often has a purpose. And the greatest example, of course, would be Jesus. His suffering, physical suffering, emotional suffering, um, beating, his crucifixion. Nailed to a cross. This huge, huge pain had the purpose of providing salvation or connecting with God for you and for me. So what about yours? Does your pain have a purpose? Um, someone has called it a stage of pain. So people watch us as we go through pain. People look at us, especially those of us Jesus followers, and they're asking, okay, what difference does it make? Then you go through pain when I go through pain. And we've probably all seen, or maybe you've had the personal experience, that we've gone through pain. 
and God used it. We go through pain with a strength. And we're not defeated by that pain. That pain had a purpose. And the ultimate purpose is to give God the glory. Whether things are going well or things are not going well, God, you're still my, my God and I, I worship and serve you. And then Jesus kind of, as he often did, kind of changes the subject. He says, we must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. Of course, that would be God. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. These folks had the tremendous advantage of seeing God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. For the last 2,000 years, we haven't been able to do that. And so the light shined the brightest when Jesus was physically here on earth. He said, I am the light of the world. And if they're the disciples, you're thinking, well, Jesus, what are you talking about? We're talking about a blind man. And so then Jesus goes back to, back to the blind man with that in that context. Then he, Jesus, spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go, wash, wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Now, we don't get all the details. I'm thinking, okay, did he ask the man that he wanted to be healed? Uh, like in the other story, and I'm assuming the man would say, yes, I do want to be healed. Did he ask how he was going to do it? Uh, the other story, we didn't, Jesus just healed him. Here he uses mud and saliva and, and spreads it on his eyes. He makes him go away and wash his eyes. Now back in that day, saliva was considered like a medicine. And I got to thinking about it. It's even today, if, you, if I hit my thumb, what do I do with it? I stick it in my mouth for some kind of relief. I, I, I don't know why. But they had truly believed it was a, uh, a source of medicine. And so he spread it on the eye. The disciples have to hold him down while he spread them on his eyes. We don't know. But he gave them instructions to go, just like God gives us instructions to go. And that's why we have missionaries going to other cities and sometimes other countries like Canada. <clears throat> because God instructs us to go. And we need to work. And he goes, he watches, he follows instructions, he obeys, and he comes back healed. And we talked about this several weeks ago too. He walked by faith. Obviously he couldn't see. He walked by faith until he was healed. Another way of saying that is this. He chose to trust someone he could not see. He couldn't see Jesus. He chose to trust someone he could not see based on what he heard about that person. People told him, this guy uh, can heal you. Uh, he's healed other people. And so he chose to believe. And that's what all of us for the last 2,000 years have done. None of us have seen Jesus. But John, at the end of his book, says, we were blessed to see Jesus. Those who believe afterwards were doubly blessed because they believe without seeing. <clears throat> so this is for you and I to do, and hopefully for you to do. So he comes back healed, and he goes back home, natural place to go. And the story continues, his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar ask each other, 
isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Now, I'm sure he looked different. He didn't have a stick. He could see. He was walking around freely. He probably had a, uh, a joy in his step. And so he, they say it. Now, notice the detail there. So he said he was, and others said, some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. You know, we haven't ever seen anybody healed of blindness, so this must be somebody else because he can see. And the guy's standing there saying, oh, yeah, 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 it's me. I'm the same guy. We don't even know his name. So the logical next question, this is buzz around town. This guy's been healed. He's been blind all his life. Who healed you? How did this happen? What happened? He told him, this man called Jesus made mud. Notice he said mud. We don't know if he knew it was how it was made. <laughs> I'm thinking, did he really know it was spit in the mud? Or maybe, hopefully it was water. But anyway, he called it mud. Spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam. Wash yourself. So I went and washed. And now I can see. And so they're asking, okay, where is he now? They ask, want to see this miracle worker, right? Now, my response, if I'm this man, is, duh. I can't see. I don't know where he went. Now I can see. So he took the blind man. Now, the story shifts here, and it gets a little darker. They took the blind man to see the Pharisees. Well, why did they do that? Well, this man could not go to the synagogue. He could not go to the temple because he was handicapped. We would say handicapped. So he'd never been able to worship. The only way he could do that is to get the okay from the religious leaders, in this case the Pharisees. So he'd have to go to them say, oh, can you see now? Yeah, you can see now? Alright, then you can come and worship with all the people that are whole. Now you're whole also. But another reason they brought it brought him to the Pharisees was because it was on the Sabbath. Just like the last story. The Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Now this is a double whammy this time. Healing on the Sabbath was against their rules. It wasn't against God's rules, but against their rules. The other rule was that you could not do kneading. You couldn't make flour and dough and that was considered work. You couldn't do that on the Sabbath. Including making mud out of dirt was considered kneading. So Jesus had doubly sinned in the eyes of the Pharisees. So this was a big issue to them, a big problem to them. Because these rules became more important than people. So the Pharisees asked the man about it. Okay. So he tells them. He, this Jesus, put the mud over my eyes. Again, we've heard this story three times now. And when I washed it away, I could see. So the Pharisees said to the man, This man Jesus is not from God. For he's working on the Sabbath. I have my God box. In my God box, people that are of God do not work on the Sabbath. They follow the rules. So this Jesus is not of God because he didn't follow the rule. Others said, notice the logic here, but how could an ordinary sinner, we're all sinners, but regularly, I guess, religious sinners were better. 
<laughs> the ordinary sinners do such a miraculous, not miracle, but a sign. Again, John's going to say this is a sign of the identity of the person that performed the miracle. And so there's this deep division of opinion among them. So here's the logic. Can't be of God because he doesn't follow the rules, but he's got to be of God because he can perform a miracle, a sign. And, and we all have built-in biases. We all have our God box. Whether we're a religious person or not, if you're not a Jesus follower, you're watching, we're delighted you're watching, but you have a God box. Whether it's God doesn't exist, or if there's a God, he would do this, or he wouldn't do that. So, there's this division. So the Jewish leaders refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. Now, we know he can see now, so he must not be the guy that was blind. Because we've never seen this before. So they call in the guy's parents. They ask them, is this your son? They ask him three questions. Is this your son? Was he born blind? And if so, how can he see? Three questions. Here's the response. The parents reply, well, we know this is our son. <laughs> and we know he was born blind. But we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Maybe they did or didn't know. But we're going to find out why that's the response. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. And we're going to see. The text is going to tell us the reason. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And this would have been huge in their culture. The synagogue was the center of their culture their uh, society. And so if you're thrown out of the synagogue, you can't, you're not particip you can't participate in society. You're, you're ostracized. And so that was the last thing they wanted done. So they were careful with their responses so that they wouldn't be cast out of the synagogue too. That's why they said, he's old enough, ask him. So our assumptions often blind us and this is what's happening in this, in this scenario. So the second time, they called the man back in. All right, they talked to the parents, and I got talked to the man again that was blind, and told him, God should get the glory for this. All right, we, we, we don't believe it's Jesus of God, and if this, you've been healed of blindness, obviously God did this, so God should get the glory, not this Jesus guy. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. So, we don't want to give him any credit. Now, this next verse is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And the man responds, I don't know whether he's a sinner. I'm not a theologian. I've been blind all my life. I'm probably not educated. I haven't been able to go to the synagogue. But I know this. Of this one thing I know. I was blind. Now I see. In the story. Another way of saying this, all I can tell you is this, something happened to me. Something fantastic happened to me. Something extraordinary, something supernatural. Something miraculous. Couldn't, I haven't been able to see my whole entire life, and now for the first time, I'm able to see. And many of us can say the same thing. Maybe, at some point in your life, if you're a Jesus follower, you hit rock bottom. Life just had no purpose, had no meaning. 
and you found Jesus, and now your life is completely changed. And I've heard people share that story. I want to argue theology with you. I had no purpose in life. Maybe I wanted to end my life. Now I have joy and peace that we talked about last week. Now I have purpose. And I have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And life is completely different. You may not believe, but I know. I've experienced this. I've had this relationship with God, in my case, for 50 years. To me, I know. So here's the question. Do you have to understand everything to believe something? And there's some examples, like do you, do you have to understand love to be in love? Nobody really understands love. But it's simple things, like do you have to understand how a car engine works to, to drive a car? Or an airplane works to, to fly in an airplane? Or I have no idea how the, how the internet works. I use it all the time. Can you explain it? I can't explain it. Do I believe it? Do I use it? Do I experience it? Absolutely. So we understand that in all other aspects of life. I don't have to understand it all to believe it. For some reason, when it comes to faith, we think, I've got to believe it all before I understand it all before I believe. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Just believe something. Believe that I existed. Believe that God exists. Believe in the miracle of the earth being exactly the right distance from the sun so life can prosper. Believe something. And ultimately believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that he came to earth, that he loved us enough to die for us. story goes on. But what did he do, they ask? How did they, he heal you? <laughs> All right. Now, the man's getting frustrated, I can imagine, at this point. He's told the story already three times. He says, look, <laughs> I told you once, I told you twice, <laughs> Didn't you listen to me? Why do you want to hear it again? And then he has a thought. Well, maybe you want to become his disciple too. And of course, this just irritated the Pharisees. So their response was, they cursed him. You're cursed. You're his disciple. But we're disciples of Moses. We know that Moses from, was from God. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from, which is probably not true. And the man responds, well, that's pretty strange, or very strange. He healed my eyes. He was able to do this miraculous sign, and you don't know where he comes from? And you're the religious leaders. You're supposed to know these things. If this man was not from God, he, again, he's back to his, this logic, he couldn't have done he couldn't have healed me. And so in their curse, they say, you were born a total sinner. Obviously, the theology, you were blind, you had to be a total sinner. Are you trying to teach us? We're the educated people. You're the total sinner. And he threw him out of the synagogue. I guess that's where the interview took place. And if you read the rest of the story, Jesus finds out about this. He comes to the man, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, Tell me who he is. And he says, I'm the son of man. He says, I believe. And he bowed and worshipped to him. So here's one of the conclusions we're going to 
make from this, this story. Willful blindness. You and I suffer from willful blindness. That's refusing to see what can be seen. It's not flattering to say, oh, you're willfully blind. But it's the truth. It's been the truth of the church all through history. It's not very flattering. We go through times, uh, the Crusades and other times when the Inquisition, the, the church acted horribly. We were blind to the fact that compassion is more important than this rule or that rule. And we treat people with disdain that are different than us instead of treating them with compassion. So this blind man was healed, not only healed physically, so he could see he was healed spiritually. He came to see and have a relationship with Almighty God. And the religious leaders, Pharisees, they were physically seeing people, but they remained blind to the light of the world, the truth of the gospel that Jesus is God. So if we limit God to God in a box, and we all have our belief system, we often miss God. Somebody told me a joke. I'm not a big joke teller. I don't want to offend anybody. This guy, uh, kind of dressed kind of shabbily, came to church. Everybody else was all dressed up. So one day the pastor came to him and said, I'd like you to go home this week and pray, ask God how you should dress to come to church. He thought that would take care of the problem. People are complaining about this guy's way he's dressed. The guy comes back the next week exactly dressed the same. He said, well, did you do what I said? Didn't, did you, didn't you ask God and, and, and pray about what way you should dress? Yeah, yeah, I prayed to God and God said, well, I've never been to that church. They had their God box. And God was outside of it. So let me ask you a simple question. Are you afraid to look outside of your box. On your outline, perhaps God is bigger than you thought he was. Your box needs to be bigger. It's okay to be wrong. I've been wrong a lot. <laughs> About a lot of things. And I look back, sometimes we look back and we thought it was cool clothes 20 years ago and we look now we're embarrassed that I actually wear that. So it's okay to be wrong. And it's okay not to know everything. Nobody knows everything. As long as we are learning, continuing to learn. That's why I say continuing to look. And hopefully we'd agree with this last statement. It's not okay not to look if there's something to see. And the world, back then and today, is surprised that God would send his only son, loved us enough to send his only son to suffer and die so we might have a relationship with God. And they were surprised or confused when Jesus, their Messiah, died on a cross. They were greatly surprised when the tomb was empty three days later. We celebrate that every Sunday, but especially on Easter. Again, you have to understand everything to believe something. Nobody understands everything. Do you have enough belief to believe, yeah, this guy Jesus existed. Yes, he was the son of God. Yes, he died and rose from the dead. And you and I can have forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and a relationship with the Almighty. So here's what I want to leave you with this week. To what are you willfully blind?
Is it a sexual orientation group? Is it a religious orientation group? Is it an ethnic group? Is it a theological position group? To what are you willfully blind? So let me pray with you, and then we'll close our time of worship this morning. Hopefully you can join us again next week, assuming we're allowed to do this again. Father God, thank you so much. I thank you for this story. It just shows so much about our human nature that we tend to not want to believe what doesn't fit into our biases, our belief system. And God, you're so much bigger. Forgive us for trying to limit you or restrict you to some box. God, we're going to pray for those that are struggling with, yeah, I've got to figure it all out before I believe. And just, okay, I, I know this, I believe this, I'll accept that. And continue to figure the other things out later. And we pray today that, that some of those folks will step across that line into faith, into belief. Uh, that's an all or nothing thing. After that, faith is kind of uh, fluctuates. But saving faith is, is a step. It may be a gradual step, it may be a dramatic step, but that's a step. We pray that you'd make that step today. For those Jesus followers, I challenge you to look outside your box, to see where you might be blind, and ask God to change us. This is unusual times, unusual, strange times. And God, so we do pray. We pray for our nation, we pray for the world, we pray for folks suffering. Uh, real illness, which those that are suffering fear and trepidation with the, the thought of getting sick. Uh, financial crises, uh, God, we pray for those folks that uh, don't have income, don't know where their next meal may be coming from. We pray for the healthcare workers that put themselves on the line, that they would keep them safe. We pray for government officials, they make these decisions. We pray for folks like us, the churches, they're trying to make decisions how we can minister to folks. And we want everyone to know we're here. Please let us know if we can help. <clears throat> God, first and foremost, we believe that you're in control, that good is going to come from this. We can't see it now, but good is going to come. In fact, I heard of two states that have stopped doing abortions because they're not considered essential. Lives, babies are being saved because of this virus. God, you continue to do your work, your good work, in and through us and in the world around us. And we thank you in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. See you guys next week. Thank you.